0: we going, uh, going to begin in verse 19. It takes us only a few hours later after Christ emerged from the tomb. Uh, it's the evening of the first day, the first day of the week, and, and uh, the sc- disciples are there in the room together, and they're fearing for their lives. And, um, you know, 10 of them are there. Judas is gone, and, and Thomas is. is uh, well, we don't know where Thomas is. We don't know where Thomas is. And I think. Before we go any further, there's an important lesson to learn from Thomas. Um, Thomas is gone, and the Lord appears. You see what happens when you miss church, okay? You just never know what's, when the Lord's going to show up, and if you're not there, you go to miss him, okay? All right, let's. If you're able, would you stand with me, and I'll read from John chapter 20. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, uh, your word is gracious and it is glorious and it speaks to us today. Yes, it was written so many years ago, but it is your inspired word for us even today. Fill our hearts with it, Lord. Open our eyes to it that our lives might conform to your truth and to your purposes. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You're reading from John chapter 20. Verses 19 through 23. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. Them, if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, we, we kind of pick on Thomas for not being here, but... But uh, we're just not sure why he wasn't here uh, now it might be his his personality uh, there have been a, a surprisingly l- large number of books written about Thomas and why he wasn't around and why he was this way. Was he just kind of a a melancholy kind of guy was he a uh, ha- glass half full kind of guy and and uh, maybe he he was the kind of personality that had to be off by himself to process or or to think through things or or, or, you know, just, just to sit in a corner by himself and, and be sad because everything that he thought was supposed to happen had not happened. And now, as we see a little bit later, they're going to tell him and, and say, hey, we saw the Lord, and he said, nah, not until I can put my fingers there will I believe. And yes, he does get that opportunity to do that, and we'll see that in a few moments. Um, but if, you know, you're not in the upper room and the Lord shows up, shame on you. Shame on you for missing him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great uh, physician to the queen who turned uh, pastor, who, who uh, was, was just a great theologian, wrote this. He said, you know, we pray for revival. We pray for the outpouring of God's spirit. And one day that will come in the way that it came in phenomenal fashion in the middle of the 18th century. That would be the first great awakening. Then it came in the middle of the 19th century. It could come. And what happens if you're not here? You'd just be kicking yourself for the rest of your life. Deep theological truth there. Deep theological truth. Now, of course, you all are here, so I'm preaching to the choir. Thank you. Okay, back to the passage. Well, they've locked themselves in this room. Perhaps it's the upper room. Perhaps it's the place where they had the Last Supper. And Scripture tells us why they've locked themselves in in their room. Because they're afraid of the Jews. They are afraid for their lives. Now, it's only been... You know, 72 hours since they saw the Romans drag Jesus off, he was beaten, tormented, spit upon, hung on a cross to die. So they, you know, they they're asking the question: Are we next? Are, are they on on uh, you know pursuit of us? Is it root out all those guys who are with Jesus and find them and crucify them as well? Uh, so they're hiding from the Romans, but they're also hiding from the Jews. But they can't hide from Jesus. They can't hide from Jesus. He enters the room. Even though the door is locked, even though the door never opens, in come to the room is the risen Lord. Now I want to remind you, if you jump ahead to the end of chapter 20 there, why John included within his gospel certain things. Now these things are all here for reason. Look at verse 30. There are many other signs, therefore Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. There were plenty of other things, plenty of material to work with, but John doesn't include those. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may may have life in His name. These things are written here for this purpose that you may believe. And John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, wrote these down. Now there are other things he didn't include, but these are included in, in, in layman's terms, because these are the best things to move you to faith in Christ. These are, this is the best vehicle that the Spirit will use to open your eyes and therefore believe upon Jesus Christ and have everlasting life. So this entrance by Jesus into this locked room full of frightened men who had been chosen to change the world is very important to our understanding and our belief that Jesus is the Christ so the the first thing we see here is that Jesus has a new body now it's the same body but it's a new body I know that sounds strange but you'll see as we go along what goes on here John says I want you to look at this and I want you to understand what it means that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead so he tells us about this risen body It is the same body. And how do we know it's the same body? He bears the scars. But it's a new body because the doors were locked and all of a sudden he is in the room. So that body can do some different things that we can't. I've never gone through a locked door. I've tried to break through, but, you know, the doors were always stronger than Randy was. Okay, now if we look at verse 27, uh, we see how do we know it's the same body? Because then he says to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. Be not unbelieving, but believing. Because remember, Thomas was the guy that said, unless I can see it, unless I can touch him, I won't believe. Now how did Jesus know that Thomas had said that? Because he doesn't go to any of the other disciples and ask them to do that. Well, again, this was his body, yet he is the son of God at the same time. Now what does it mean that Jesus was raised from the dead? This is not reincarnation, this is not resuscitation, this is not uh, a snake shedding its skin. Uh, One of the worst moments I ever had in my life, I was out in the field, tall grass and I looked down, I'm walking through and there is a rather large snake skin. I guess it's better than seeing a rather, rather large snake But you know you're you're out in the field and you can barely see your feet, but you know that there are rattlesnakes in there somewhere. So you just stand very quiet, you listen, and you turn around and get out just as fast as you can. Okay, but this is not what happens. This is not Jesus just shedding his skin so that he can have a new one. He did not abandon his humanity so that he could be free to only hang out with his deity. No, that's not what he did. He is the same substance as the Father, but yet he takes on this new body, and this is his body. This is his body that was in the grave, and now it's in the locked room. The Westminster Catechism says this. The very same body in which he suffered and bled and died with the essential properties thereof. These guys knew how to write. Okay, The essential properties thereof. It was the same body. That's the short version, the same body. You can see the wounds, you can see the scars. Charles Ryle wrote, after a great victory, the scars of a conqueror are marks of honor. And it is no shame for Jesus Christ to bear these wounds, to identify him as the Christ. Remember last week at at the end, I quoted a, a, a very old hymn by Rutherford and it talks about In heaven we'll have these great resurrected bodies, raised imperishable. And and, you know, all the things that plagued us in this world will be gone. Those marks will be gone, except for the marks of Christ. Those marks will remain for all eternity to remind us of the cost of our salvation. The marks are here present in this room. So it's not only a real body, it's the same body that was on the cross. It was the same body that was placed in the tomb but yet it is a transformed body. This is one of those those deep theological truths that me and my friends love to get together and read five or six books and then hang out and discuss, and and everybody else's eyes glaze over at this. So let me give you the one-sentence version of this. These wounds are still visible to show us he is no longer subject to death. He has conquered death death that's why those wounds are there they remind us of his sacrifice they show us he has conquered death you see John has worked to show us that Jesus in fact has died on the cross he's got this mark where the sword pierced his side he's got the nail scarred hands he has conquered the grave he will never die again the body has been raised it is incorruptible It is immortal. It is a transformed body. And why is it so important that we know this? Why is it so important that John writes this down? Because Jesus' resurrected body is a pattern for our resurrected bodies. Now, some of you here this morning have have built homes from scratch. Okay, You've talked to the architect, or you've talked to the builder, or maybe you've gone to a development where where they're building the houses. And you go in, and and there's a house that's already built. It's the first one in, and it's called the model. And they put all the cool stuff in the model. So that you can go in and see what your house might look like. That's the same concept here, although far from a perfect illustration. Jesus' resurrected body is the model for us. Okay, our body raised imperishable. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians, Let me tell you about this body that Jesus has won for you. Let me tell you what he is going to do for you. He says it is a spiritual body. It is a transformed body. It is made new by the Holy Spirit, imperishable, never to die again, never to feel the effects of sin. That's the raised body. So why do we need to know this? Well, Scripture tells us that God cares very much about our bodies. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This body is not something that is designed just to get me through on the way to heaven. Okay. Now uh, Paul writes to the, the Philippians. And basically the theme of that book is that he's we're pilgrims. And we're on the way and we're making progress. And we're making progress to our home. Our passports are not from this world. They are from heaven. And we're going home and we're on the way there. But while we're on the way, we've been given this body in which to serve the Lord, in which to carry out certain things and to do certain things. These bodies are not to simply to be tolerated until we get our imperishable bodies. Uh, we can't think that this body is just a place to uh, live for a while and then we'll cast it off. No, Jesus says, I'm going to redeem all of you and your bodies as well. Now, why is it important for us to understand this? For, but because for Christians, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. And that means that Christ has a claim on our body. He has a claim on what we do with our bodies. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And remember that Paul is, is pretty much going through a, a question and answer list here as he writes 1 Corinthians Corinthian church is a new church, they're they're going through all those struggles, so they've kind of written him a letter and said, we've got all these questions, can you answer them for us? So he is going through and answering. So we get to chapter 6, verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. He says, you don't be mastered by your belly. Don't be mastered by your uh, urges. Don't be mastered by uh, the things of this world. You're, you're created for the Lord. Okay, These things in this earth, you know, food is to, it's you can enjoy it, it's tasty, but don't be mastered by it as an example, he says here. Verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Well, may it never be. That's one of Paul's favorite things. He asks a question and then says, no way, may it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body." So it makes it clear to us here. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord. Why? He's bought and paid for us. What was the purchase price of us? Jesus Christ. And not just the death of Christ, but the risen Christ who comes out with a body that gives us an idea of what ours will be like. So until that time when our body is raised imperishable, we are here in this body. This is keep it for the Lord. Keep it for the things that the Lord wants. Do not connect it with things that are immoral because you're, in a sense, because we're part of the body of Christ, you're dragging Christ into your immorality. Hmm. He cares about what you do. He cares about what you hear. He cares about what you say. We learned this in second grade Sunday school when we sang the song what? Oh, be Careful little eyes what you see and ears what you hear and feet where you go. Why is that lesson so important? Because we have been bought with a price. We belong to the Lord. Tithonus. Tithonus was a Greek, in Greek mythology, was a Greek mortal man. And he fell in love with Aurora. Aurora was a Greek goddess. Okay, a Greek goddess. But the problem was Aurora was immortal, and Tithonus was mortal. So Aurora hauls him off to Zeus, and says, "Zeus, would you make we're in love? Would you make him immortal?" And Zeus said, "Sure, I'll make him immortal." But what didn't she ask? Will you also grant him eternal youth? So he became immortal, but he aged and he aged and he aged and he aged. And in Tennyson's poem, this is, all comes from a poem from Tennyson, he pleads Zeus, take back thy gift. Take back thy gift. See, the immortal, imperishable body that we will receive is fit for all eternity it doesn't mean that we'll just have eternal life but it is a body that is fit for eternal life it is a body that will no longer be subject to the effects of the fall no longer subject to the effects of sin aging disease nothing like that now we all know that our bodies have broken down you know, I've got like eight pair of glasses for eight different distances that I have to work with. Uh, you go to the doctor and says, you know, it really start, this is really starting to hurt. What do you think it is? And he says, well, you're old. You know, you're getting old. What do you expect? Things are just going to start to hurt. I was talking to a guy this week, and, and we were talking about what we do. And he said, yeah, I still work the long hours. He said, I just turned 60. I still work the long hours, but when I go home, I don't do anything else. He says, I don't, they live on the lake. He says, I don't get on the boat. and We don't go out on the boat. We don't ski at night anymore. Uh, he said, I'm just too tired. I said, what about the weekends? He said, mm, sometimes we go out on the boat and sit in the sun. <laughs> he says, I'm just getting older. My body is not working in the same way. I don't have the energy uh, that I used to have at the end of the day. Sometimes even at the end of the week, I don't have that same energy. But Jesus comes alongside of us and says, for all who have trusted in me, he says, death, age, this is not the last word. Jesus says, I have conquered death. And you have a certain hope in the resurrection body that comes with faith and that is guaranteed because Christ's body came out of the grave. Christ's body is imperishable. He made it into that room and said, see, I've conquered death. That's why the Puritans used to say, Every believer needs to meditate upon heaven some portion of every day. Take time. Take 15 minutes and think and read about the glories of heaven each day and fill your mind with that. So in in some sense, we are prepared. You you know, I always, I'm right-handed, so heaven is always up there. Okay, the bad things are usually down here. I don't want you to think that you all are bad and you all are good. Heaven is always up there. But Think on those things some portion of every day so that our hearts are ready. We're we're looking forward to this. We are longing for what the Lord has for us. But in all this good news, there's some bad news too. Because everybody is raised. Some will be raised to eternal condemnation, to eternal condemnation. Jesus taught that people, all bodies will be raised, some will be raised, like Daniel says, to shame and everlasting contempt. They'll be brought before the judgment seat of Christ, and he will say to those, go to the left. You know, sheep to the right, goats to the left. He said, go to the left. I, I never knew you. So this raises the question, well, how can I escape this eternal judgment? If I'm going to be raised and my body will be raised for all eternity, how can I escape eternal judgment that will come upon my body for all eternity? It's not like go to the left and then you cease to exist. That's just not the way that Scripture says. Uh, The eternal life is glorious and it goes on in heaven for all time. Eternal death is terrible and it goes on in hell for all time. So Jesus answers that question. Let's look for a moment. Back in John 20. Verse 19, verse 21, verse 26. He says the same thing again and again. And if we read scripture and it is repeated... That makes it extra important, extra important. The end of verse 19, peace be with you. 21, Jesus therefore said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. The end of uh, 26, peace be with you. This is the peace that only Christ can bring. This is the peace that comes upon us and changes all that we are. It is the peace that passes understanding you have to understand the disciples left jesus they abandoned him you know we see some of them on the around maybe uh, john is is around there at the cross looking on peter and 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 at the time of the trial even though he was denying him he was kind of watching him but but they're really uh, uh, you know in our world somebody shows up that we've abandoned, we might be ready for a tongue lashing. But what does Jesus say to them? Peace be with you. This is not, this is not hey guys, how are you doing? This is not a greeting like that. This is a communication of his grace and of his mercy to those whom he has chosen to change the world. Not only has he chosen them, he has called them, and in a few days he is going to empower them to change the world. Empower them to change the world. Paul goes on to explain this concept of this word, peace. He says, Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one, that's Jew and Gentile, and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing that hostility. This is all from Ephesians chapter 2. If we trust in Christ, if we understand his peace, if we receive him as our Lord and Savior... We don't have to worry about that that everlasting condemnation. Those things are gone. The new is placed in our hearts. The wrath of God is turned aside from those who are in Christ. His justice is satisfied. It has all been poured out the wrath of God onto the person of Christ. But yet he paid the perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice and paid the penalty for us. So what does this uh, peace mean in our lives? There are five things that I've garnered from other places, just very simply. There are five relationships where this peace should be evident in the life of the believer. Peace between us and the Lord, that's obvious. Okay, It's a vertical aspect of this. He, we have been reconciled to Him uh, first and foremost. We're standing there among them. The Lord is offering himself, he is showing them the scars in his hands. He is not there to judge them, he is there to demonstrate his love. We've been reconciled to him. Secondly, there is peace between us and God. That's why God sent him. The wrath of God has been satisfied in the work of Jesus Christ. He is our substitution. Third, there's peace between us and the rest of the body of Christ between us as an individual and the rest of the body of Christ. To be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to all who are in Christ. Now, you might not know the person sitting next to you, or you might know them better than you want to, and you know all about them, but yet there is a bond that ties us together that the world does not understand. We have ears, we have feet, we have hands in this room because we all make up the body of Christ. Paul says in Galatians, we, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. Yes, there are men and women here. Yes, there are people from different places. We are one in Christ. They're not the cultural separations that used to be. And number four, we have peace between us and ourselves. And sometimes that's a very hard thing to achieve. Because there are voices within us and they're our own voice and they tell us uh, that we're not, we're not good enough or, or we can't really be forgiven for those things that we've done. Or there's really, do you know what you have done? There's, there still can't be a sacrifice that is great enough to cover your sins. You say to yourself, I know the hardness of my own heart, but yet Christ takes care of that. Hebrews chapter 9 says the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Our minds have to understand we have received forgiveness, that there is peace that we can find that is available only in Christ. Now, peace within us does not mean that we will not struggle, does not mean that we will suddenly stop seeing our past sins, that they will stop haunting us, but we understand that they have no power over us. Yes, they might be there. It might take time to come to grips and say, no, those things are gone. They no longer affect us. They they might not cease to be painful right away, but they can cease to be paralyzing, knowing we have forgiveness in Christ. And last, we have peace with the world. Peace with the world, really? Yeah. When Jesus died, he did what was needed to be done so that someday in God's time, in the fullness of time, evil will be done away with. He will return, not this time as Savior, but this time as Judge is judged. Now, this last portion here in John, a lot of questions about this. And he said to them, verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now it doesn't say, uh, we might be cutting a fine line here, but it doesn't say that they received the Holy Spirit. We know that they received the Holy Spirit definitely couple of pages over in Acts chapter 2. That's when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. So I don't think they received the Holy Spirit. This was more of a promise. Now why don't I think they received the Holy Spirit? Uh, Look over at verse 26. And after eight days again his disciples were inside. They're still hiding out after eight days. They are still stashed away in the room afraid to go out. If they had received the Holy Spirit... Life would have been very different. What happens to Peter after he receives the Holy Spirit? He preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come to Christ. Boom! That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, th- I think this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. This is not some ecclesiastical um, badge of authority okay this does not give the uh the 10 or 11 who are in that room the power to actually forgive sins we know the forgiveness of sins only comes through christ this is we tie this with the phrase peace be with you okay and then to go and do those things okay to go out into the world and declare these things that the peace of christ has come so for those who who receive the peace of Christ. For those who profess with their mouth who believe with their heart, they, there's the authority to say your sins are forgiven. As far as we know, their sins are forgiven. Of course, only Christ actually knows, but when you declare your faith, when you declare that you believe, we can say that. For those who scoff at the things of Christ, if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. If you sit here and say, Randy, that was so cool, but you're so full of beans about that forgiveness stuff. It says right here, sorry, your sins are not forgiven. They're they're simply not. Not until you confess faith in Jesus Christ. Then you will know his peace. So what do we do about that? Mm. Martin Luther said faith is a busy little thing. We ought to be out there doing it. And what should we be out there doing it? Declaring the peace of Christ. The church is not, Luther goes on to say, it is not a hibernating bear. It is not a hibernating bear waiting for spring to come. Spring has come and we are to be out there. What did we read from Matthew? Go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. Okay? And that great, last thing, that great theologian, Yogi Bear, No, not Yogi Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. He said, "The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Okay, the proclamation of the gospel. We come together as the body of Christ, and we worship. What do we do out there? We live it out. We live it out. We proclaim the good news. And and you know what God promises. This is. I, I really didn't get this for a long time." Go home and read 36th chapter of Ezekiel this week. Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. Now think of that. I will let the house of Israel ask me to do this for them. To increase their people like a flock. And I thought, I think that applies to the church. I mean that was we were talking about the, the covenant people here. Well, do you think that applies to us today? You think if we ask the Lord to increase our numbers, that He will do that? Should we be so bold as to say, Lord, as I go out and declare the gospel, that you would change hearts and bring people into the church, that they would believe? And and what's the caveat there? Well, the Lord's gonna say, Well, I'm gonna do that, but you gotta make sure to go and declare. Because if you just pray for it and don't do anything, uh, he's going to go find somebody else to do it. And he's going to bless them. I will expand the borders of Zion of my people as my people plead with me to do so. As my people plead with me to do so, the Lord will. Let's pray. Lord, what a, a great passage for us today the promises that you make to those who are in Christ, that this body that we have seen that Christ has is a picture of what we will have, raised imperishable for all eternity. We also get a glimpse of of that body that, that is raised imperishable but yet for condemnation. But for whatever reason in your providence and in your sovereign control over all things, you have decided to use us as vehicles to declare the good news of Jesus Christ, that his peace can be with people, that they can understand forgiveness and that they can have their sins washed and cleansed from them, that they might understand what it means to be made a new creation in Christ, that they may avoid that condemnation, that they may rejoice and know the things of Christ. And you say, you know... If you'll simply plead with me to expand the borders. If my people will plead with me to let their house increase. He says, I'll do that. I will do that. But I will expect you to go and declare the news. And I will use you as the instrument of the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Lord, for this week especially, tune our hearts that when we're in a conversation with somebody, it might be short, it might be in an elevator, it might be over lunch, it might be something brief. Give our eyes sharpness to opportunities to share the gospel. It just might be a little bit at first, but a little bit might be enough to open the door and lead to more. Or it might be that someone is is so empty inside that that littleness, that little bit of the gospel is just life to them. For we have the words of life, and it is our job to give them out. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.